Today's daf is Zion 7, and we start at the very, very bottom of Chet Amaset. We're dealing with interpreting the statement of, um, of uh, Rav, that a egg is only when it comes out is it finished. And we wanted to know what that meant. So the last thing the Gemara thinks it might mean is that it's only after it's been laid that it can possibly, assuming it's a fertilized egg, possibly, uh, um, you know, uh, have to kick. But if it was taken out of the mother, if the mother was uh, shechted and an egg was found inside of her body, then even if it's fertilized, it would not have to check. So the Gemara says, L'may nafti mina. Somebody could uh, check on Wikipedia and see if this is correct. I have no idea. L'may nafti mina, says the Gemara. What practical halachic difference does that make? That interesting little fact. So it says, L'mekka For business deals, Yehuda Amaluhu, somebody was saying to, going around and like in the marketplace and saying to them, to people, they depachia leman, um, who has for me eggs that have been, um, that have been fertilized, okay? So, um, so, Vashi says pachia means, um, like a cooing. Eggs that have somehow indicated eggs that have been laid, you know, well, Vashi sounds like from a, from a, from a hen that had been cooing, um, while, she, while she lays an egg. Somehow, who has eggs that have been laid? They gave him, so pachia doesn't exactly mean fertilized. Who has eggs that have been laid? So somebody sold him eggs without telling him that he was doing this, eggs from an animal that was found inside of a shechted, of a shechen, of, of, of a shechted hen. So then he came to Abiyami, I'm not sure, somehow he found out after the sale had been completed and he wanted to get his money back. He said to them, to the merchants, it was a false sale, a sale under false pretenses. I mean, Tos doesn't actually mean, you know, false pretenses, like intentional, although that probably sounds like that was the case, but Tos means it was an error, like even an honest error could be a Mecca Tos. Anyway, so it is, an, it, is a mis- it, is, it is a purchase in error and Vahadar, and, it rever- and, it, and it's reversed. Give, give the eggs back, get the money back. So the says, Pshita, obviously, he explicitly said he wanted laid eggs. So obviously it was a Mechachtos. No. Maudetema, I might have thought, maybe he wanted the eggs to eat, not to uh, hatch chicks. Um, why do he say laid eggs? So, Mishum Tzvivan, because they're more uh, complete, meaning not because he wanted them, you know, for, for hatching chicks, but just uh, a laid egg is a further day of completion than an unlaid egg. So, so what? It's still not what he was asking for. So, Lamai Nafkimina, so what would there, there the difference be? There, the whole sale wouldn't be an error. You'd have to pay him for the difference, but it wouldn't be like the whole sale would be an error. Mashmalan, that if somebody is looking for laid eggs, we need to assume that that means that he wants them for hatching chicks. Again, they would also have to have been fertilized, but okay. And therefore, the whole thing is fundamentally an, a, a sale and error, which means, you know, not every mistake means that the sale is reversible. Um, sometimes there's a question of overcharging, right? So if you overcharge beyond a certain amount, it's reversible. Less than a certain, you know, less than that amount, it's not reversible, but you get your money back. But there's also other cases. Let's say I go to, um, you know, to the new, to the uh, Porsche dealership there, and I buy this Porsche, and I said, you know, and I want the, uh, the, uh, this particular CD package with it. And they go ahead and they sell to me, and they gave me a different CD package with it. So what, can I make the whole sale void? You know, even though I had a certain request, some requests are not seen as central to the, uh, you know, to, 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 what, to my intention, that I mean, without that, I never wanted to buy it, and the whole thing was a mistake. 
So yeah, there was a there was a, there was an error in the sale, and I'm entitled to get the difference. I'm entitled to get you replace my CD package with the other CD package. But it doesn't mean that the, fundamentally there was no DAS to buy it under those circumstances. You go to a different so, Porsche dealer for your second Porsche. Exactly. So <laughs> so here too, if my basic point was I wanted to have checks, so then it fundamentally was the exact wrong object I was looking for, according to this statement of Rav, that I can't have checks if they haven't been laid. But if it's just that I wanted them to eat, but I thought I was buying extra large, and I bought large, so it's not such a fundamental difference. You give me back the difference in price. Okay, yes. So how much of that is what a reasonable person would interpret your question to be versus yeah. So that's a good question, right? And about and about whether you say and how much we could assume how yeah. So that's an excellent question. Like like how much does that have to be self evident, you know, in terms of in terms of how people would have interpreted it and so on. Generally, yes, we would have assumed that there has to be it has to be reasonably self evident in the for that case. Otherwise it's like Dvarm Shiplave and Ain't Hokimanacharov and so on. Okay, now that we're having cases like this, we're going to digress a little and have similar cases. So let's take a look. Um, somebody's going around and saying, So eggs of a male. Males don't lay eggs, but it means eggs that were laid by a, by a, uh, by a hen that had been fertilized, that had mated with a male. Um, they gave him eggs that had come from friction from the ground, which means not fertilized. Eggs that were just erogenous, buried in the ground. Eggs that were laid on themselves without a male. Okay. Asula coming to Rebbe So he came to Rebbe Ami. It's a false sale and it reverses. Thank you so much. It's a false sale and it reverses. So the Gemara says, Pshita, obviously, you are asking for fertilized eggs. No, maybe even when you wanted fertilized eggs, you wanted them for eating, be a bad job, because then if you found like a blood spot, it would be us, sir. But hopefully you were going to get them before they had a blood spot. Okay, the hides are coming to Dichris, so why did you want them to be fertilized? Maybe you thought they were like fattier eggs, they were better quality, but it was still about eating them. In that case, the difference would be to pay the difference in price. It wouldn't be fundamentally a bad sale. Kanash Milan, that, that's not the case, that if you're asking for fertilized eggs, it's because you really want fertilized eggs, because you want that, you want to hopefully raise chicks. So, the eat by and if you want, I can tell you, my, okay, so that's one answer. It, for, is, it is, because we have to assume you wanted to raise right. them to, as chicks. You wanted to hopefully hatch chicks out of it. Okay, so that's one explanation of what it means when it comes out, it's done, which is that only after it's been laid does it have the potential of chicks hatching, assuming it's been fertilized. Now, another explanation of what this phrase means. The Ibai Seima, we're leaving the Mechachtos world. If you want, I can tell you, my initiasa nigmira, what does it mean when it comes out, it's complete? Initias rubanigmira, it's considered complete when already the majority comes out. What's the relevance of that? For the following palach of Rabbi Yochanan. Dhamma Rabbi Yochanan, Back to our basic question of an egg born on Yantav. So if it was if the majority came out before Yantav and then it finished being laid after sunset, uh, then it is considered to be um, already have been laid from the day before, and it is not moksa. It is fine or not whatever problem a laid egg is because it's like it was already born from the day before. Um, the Igadami and some say, what does it mean when it comes out it's, it's complete? Same point about when is it considered born for the halachas of Beit Fishinot of Yom Tov, but to tell you the exact opposite of what Rabbi Yochanan said. Means when it fully comes out. When it's fu- only when it fully comes out is it born. 
אם נתהיה כולה נגמרה, אם נתהיה כולה אין, אבל אם נתהיה כולה אין, אבל רובה לא, אבל לא המג'ורטי. ולהפוגן מרבי יוחנן, ספציפיקלי, Okay, so those are now two explanations. The second, the final one, you know, or one of the two possibilities of the final one probably makes more sense that, Ra, you know, that Rav was bothering to tell us a halacha related to the Mishnah of when is an egg that's born permitted on Yontif or forbidden on Yontif rather than this question of Mechachtos. And according to this, he's either telling us either it all has to come out or the majority of it has to come out. But anyway, you need to define exactly when it's considered to be laid for the halacha that it was laid on Erev Yontif and therefore Mutter on Yontif. Yes. Yeah, that whole week at the Yishim. Yeah, no, because there's plenty of halachas about when a human child is born, and it talks about you know yatsa ruba, and there's a question about when you know you know rosh you know rosha rosha ruba. So those are halachas about. There is parallel, yes, but of course you know, but uh, but different specifics. But yes, but when is something considered born? Absolutely. Okay, so now the gemara says like this. Um, okay, gufa. Now, let's get back to the other thing we brought up in this discussion, that if the eggs were in the hen, and again the hen was set aside for eating, then certainly not a problem of a laid egg. It's part of the hen, part of all part of the same food, and therefore it's permissible. Hashogid is a tarnagola. You shechted a hen. Umatabad deitim gemurot. And you, I'm sorry, that was one thing we said. The other thing we said, which is now moving beyond the muksa point, is when are they considered part of the hen and considered meat? And when are they considered separate from the hen and not considered meat for the halachas of basar b'chalav? Okay? So let's take a look. Gufa. Hashogel et atarnagolis. You shech the hen. Umasa b'beitzim gemurot. You find complete eggs. Now, Tosa says that the gifts probably isn't complete, as we're about to say. But there's some degree near completion. Rashi says they don't have a shell yet, but the uh, white is still, or the shell hasn't hardened, but the white is, 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 is complete. In that case, they could be eaten with milk, although they are not considered the meat, uh, part of the, of the meat of the hen. Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov says, if they were still, still intertwined with the sinews, asurot, they are forbidden. Again, I don't know exactly the different stages of what a egg developing in the, in, inside of a mother, of a hen looks like. But he says, at that stage where they're still intertwined with sinews, they're considered to be essentially part of the meat of the mother. They're not yet independent, and, they're st- and, and therefore they are forbidden to eat with milk. Okay, so now let's let's take a look at that. That helps muscle, wasn't it? Or whether you're about to have, you know, the... Right, we're assuming the chicken is usher with milk. Okay, so the says like this. Man tana lahat tana So who is the author of the following b'rita? Ha'orichom inivlat of tahor. Now there's a halacha that besides the fact that you not kosher, a dead bird that hasn't been shechted, but if it's a dead bird of a kosher species that hasn't been shechted, besides that it's nevela, there's a halacha that you become tamay when you eat it. A very strange category. Normally you become tamay when you touch things, you know, minimally, if not in other ways as well. Here when you touch the dead carcass of this dead, you know, chicken, you're not tamay, but if you swallow it, when it's down, when you're sort of in your throat, then you become tamay. But it's only when you eat minivlata, from its carcass, which is understood to be the meat of it. Okay, so this is going to be another area where it matters what do we define as part of the meat of this bird and not part, because only when you swallow a kibayat of the, or a of the meat, excuse me, only then do you become tamay. So let's take a look. Um, you eat from the carcass of a kosher bird, uh, but a non-shechted carcass. 
So mina shalal shabetzim, if you eat from the cluster of eggs, unlaid eggs, but they're, you know, they're distinct, they're a cluster of eggs, or mina atzamot, or the bones, mina gidim, or the sinews, and here we're assuming the sinews don't have, don't taste, don't have any taste to them, so they're not considered meat. Umina basar shemit lashminachai, or it is from the meat, from the flesh, but it was torn off when it was alive. It was not part of the flesh when it died. So in all those cases, tahor. Not necessarily are you allowed to do it. You can't touch to eat basar minachai, but you are, do not become tamay. You only become tamay when you eat from the meat of the dead carcass. Um, however, if you ate it from the ovary sack, mina korkevan, or from the crop, or from the, uh, from the intestines, or you uh, sort of liquefied the fat of it and you swallowed it, you are tamay. So even though that's maybe it's, a, it's liquefied, you would think it's different, all of those are considered the meat. But what do you see, though? You see that the cluster of eggs, as opposed to the ovaries, is not considered <coughs> meat. So the Gemara says, Mantana mina shalal shay bitim tahor. So who is, the, that, who is the author of that position, that the cluster of eggs inside of the mother is yuar tahor, which means, i.e., it's not meat? So the Gemara says, I'm Rabbi Yosef, to look Rabbi Yaakov, not like Rabbi Yaakov. He Rabbi Yaakov, Amar, ha'imayu He said, if it's still intertwined with the, their, with the sinews, it is forbidden. And since this categorically says the cluster of eggs is not, is not meat, is not a problem, clearly that's not Rabbi Yaakov. Rabbi Yaakov would have a problem sometimes if it's still intertwined with the cluster. So the Gemara says, the ik Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov says, if it's intertwined, it's forbidden. So Amalei Abaye, so Abaye said back to Rabbi Yosef, Mimai, how do you know that's true? Dioma Adkan Lokam Rabbi Yaakov Hoslam Elinian Isura. Maybe Rabbi Yaakov, look, in principle he thinks that when they're, you know, he would not say that they're meat. He would agree that even if they're intertwined with the sinews, once they're at a certain stage of completion, they're not considered meat. But he's being strict. He's saying when it comes to the luck of Basar Bechalov, you know, we have a lot of stringencies with Basar Bechalov. So, we'll consider this to be meat as well. It's true. Really, technically, it's not meat. But, for Basar Bechalov, we'll be strict. Don't eat it with meat. Linyan Yisura. Um, but when it comes to the question of be making you tame, we're going to go by the Iker Halacha and it won't be me and we won't make you tame. right so if we're being strict more than we have to by the issue of Basar B'chalaf let's be strict by the issue of Tuma and make it like meat for the issue of Tumas no, Afushi Tumahu, that would just spread Tuma even more. The more things you make Tame, the more you spread Tuma. So Afushi Tuma, Midrabanan, and we don't want to rabbinically spread Tuma if we don't have to. Now, of course, the funny thing is, but there's a lot of times we make rabbinic Tumas. So if you look at Rashi, Rashi's aware of this. I know exactly what he answers, but here's what Rashi says, last of the narrow lines. Many times we make rabbinic tumas and gzeras. Don't say do it here also. We don't want to do it too much. So at a certain point we say enough. So sometimes there's a justifiable reason, but maybe here it's not so, you know, there's a little bit put the brakes on. Anyway, the point being, maybe he makes a difference. Maybe he's not, if it were a point that biblically he considered it meat, you'd write. He'd have to say the same halacha. But maybe, he's, it's only rabbinic, and maybe he's being strict by Basar B'chalav and not by Tuma. So maybe, in theory, it could be Rabbi Yaakov, and Rabbi Yaakov is only being strict rabbinically. Okay. The Igadami and others say that the initialist suggestion was the opposite. Man tana mina eshko shabetim tamei, which started at the end of the Mishnah, 
who is the author that says at the end of the Brayta that if it's from the ovary sac it is tamay it is meat I'm Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yaakov he, that's Rabbi Yaakov because it's assuming that the second part which says the ovary sac is considered meat means even after the eggs have somewhat come out and they're still intertwined that would be in this category of eshkol shelbetzim so that would be Rabbi Yaakov that eshkol shelbetzim is the category of eggs that are intertwined with the sinews the Amar Imhayim wrote Begivina Surot so Amrle Abaye, so Abaye said back to Rabbi Yosef, What makes you think Eshkol, the ovary sack, means eggs that are out of the sack, but are suspended by it? Is this scenario of eggs that are growing, but surrounded by, you know, by sinews? Maybe it literally means the ovary sack. That so, that the, you know, and, and only that is considered meat. But once the egg is separated and growing, it would not be. So the chitema esko gufe myla member. If you'll say okay, but if it's the ovary sac itself, what's the chiddush? It's just an inner organ. Of course, it's considered meat. No, there's a chiddush mididave a korkavin ubnei The same way it had to mention that the crop and the intestines were considered meat. Those are also obviously meat. So what's the chiddush there? So the avagav the basaninu, even though obviously they're meat. Even the ike inishilo achli, since there are some people that are finicky and wouldn't eat the crop and the gizzard, if you could imagine that, and the intestines. So I might think that it's uh, unit. I might think that it's not considered that uh, enough meat or enough something that's edible that makes you tamay. So he says, right? So he says, and that's the simple read of the brayta that the that the brayta which says things are meat is talking about things that are obviously meat, but things that are not normally eaten, the intestines, the crop the ovary sac those things even though they're not normally eaten are considered food and meat and they make you come in. but what is considered but when the eggs actually have separated from the sac and are still growing and developing then it would not be meat and that's against Rabbi Yaakov Rabbi Yaakov says at a certain stage the eggs are still intertwined they are meat this indicates the position not like Rabbi Yaakov but they are not meat even when they are still at a stage of being intertwined okay so that was the interesting halacha. You see, once you're talking about eggs, you've got to talk about a lot of things relating to eggs. So that's the halacha about when are the eggs considered to be meat or not. And again, it's not, you know, I, I, in my mind, I don't have a clear picture of exactly what that cutoff point is, but I don't have a clear picture of what eggs look like in the, in the, inside of the hen anyway. But at a certain point, even while they're still intertwined, and, you know, they're still, and they're still might, you know, there's, they might be part of the hen, but they're not meat. What's the difference between the shalal and the eshkol? The shalal is like the cluster of eggs that are growing, or an egg that is growing, but it's not the egg. The eshkol, uh, the eshkol is the actual ovary sac. And the shalal is the referring it's to like the cluster of the eggs outside of the Yes, egg. yes. Again, I, I should have done my research so I could no, tell no, you more. You know, if Charlie were here, he would have, uh, he would have looked that up on Wikipedia. But, but the Gemara doesn't even find it necessary to say, I have a mina, that since people are interested in normally eating gizzards or whatever it is, you would be able to eat it with milk. That's taken for granted. No, of course you could it. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, but saying, we're not saying that for Tuma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Tuma says Asher, uh, because it speaks about being eaten. Asher yeachel. So maybe okay. Tanur banan. Now, be, now we're going to get to another interesting discussion about about laying eggs. Kosher tashmisha biyom. Any animal species, as we'll see, including humans, that has sex only by day. Nolad biyom will only give birth in the day, or is born in the day, literally. Um, 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 any, any animal species that only has sex at night Noah Delilah also is only born at night 
any species that has sex whether in the day and at night will be born in the day and in the night so basically now it doesn't mean when, you, when, when the, the, the mother happened to conceive happened to have sex but it's the nature of the species okay when the, if it's a species of that's nocturnal I assume if it's nocturnal in its eating habits it means it's nocturnal in its mating habits so if it's a nocturnal species it gives birth at night if it's a diurnal diurnal is that the daytime? Diurnal species, it gives birth in the day, and what's both? Anybody? Okay. Both. <laughs> Neither nocturnal nor diurnal, it gives birth in day and at night. So the Gemara says, what's an example of this? Um, so something that's nocturnal um, in terms of its mating habits, excuse um, me, diurnal in its day, it only gives birth in the day. Zootarnagolas, that's a hen. Anything that's nocturnal in its mating habits gives birth at night. That's a bat. Anything that's, uh, that, 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 that mates in day and at night gives birth at day at night. So what's that? Um, I'm sorry. Humans and everything like humans, which means I guess everything that's neither nocturnal or diurnal. Um, okay, Amar. Now let's talk about who cares about this. What? I assume it means mammals, but mammals like yeah, but aren't like most mammals diurnal? Like I mean, you know, I mean, do they? I mean, I think it's only like bears like hibernate. Yeah, no, um, not, uh, yeah, but I'm saying, aren't like most, uh, like, le- like, before we had electric lights, weren't we basically diurnal animals? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't exactly, anyway, okay, moving on. Um, okay, so I don't know what's called the dummy lake. Um, I mean, there are animals that prowl at night and so on, right? Now we don't sleep. But anyway, all right, anyway. Uh, okay, so the word sounds like this. Uh, okay, um, where were we? What do I care about this idea that chickens only give birth during the daytime or hens? So, like the teaching of Rav Mari, the son of Rav Kahana, you checked your, uh, your, 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 what's it called? Your, not the hen, roost. Your, is that what's called? The roost? I guess. The roost of the hens. The heir of Yontov. It was there. It was the night right before Yontov, and you checked, and there was no egg. The Lomatsa Babetan. There was no egg. And then it was a second later, it was already nightfall. And the next morning, you woke up, and you found at 5 a.m., you got up and you checked it, and you saw there was an egg right there in the, uh, in the nest, or whatever it is, in the roost. So, Muteris, it's permissible, which is crazy, because when did it lay birth? It obviously laid birth on the other, but no, because you checked at 5 a.m. Before, sun, before daybreak, which means that it would have to have given birth at night. But we've just said that it's impossible for our hens to lay eggs at night. So it must be, you didn't check properly. So therefore, Muteris, hello, Badak, didn't you check before nightfall? It must have been you didn't check well because otherwise we'd have to say that it laid the egg at night and we've just said it's impossible for hens to lay eggs at night. And even if you checked well, I have an explanation. What must have happened is, must have been the majority came out and then it went back in. 
So therefore, it wasn't there for you to see it, but technically, it had already given birth in the daytime. Because the only other alternative explanation was that it laid the egg at night, and we know that's not possible. So, and like Rabbi Yochanan that said, that would be considered already to have been laid. So this brings you to a perfect example of a pre-empirical world in which, you know, you go by the authority of, you, you know, that you trust the sort of authority of tradition or of what's written more than you trust your own eyes, right? And, you know, they, this was clear, like, you know, if like, uh, like, you know, for, 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 for hundreds of years, they went by, like, Galen's anatomy, you know, from the Greek world, and even though when the, you would, you know, which would describe what the inside of a person would be, and even when they cut up a person and looked at the inside and saw it didn't match what was in the book, obviously they were looking at what was an anomaly, you know, but the book was obviously right. You just discard the evidence, you know, so this is sort of, now, obviously, people weren't, like, totally pre-empirical, and people did sort of see things with their own eyes, but it sort of really shows you how, you know, you know, how serious that, that orientation is. I don't know. Somebody's going to look it up right now on Wikipedia and tell me, actually, hens never give birth at night. I don't know. But anyway, but here it says that if you have to choose between whether it came out, I didn't check well, or it came out and went back in, on the one hand, or saying it gave birth at night, on the other, I'll say the, that it did not give birth at night, and there's some other explanation, and actually I can eat the egg. So now the Gemara says like this. Um, Amy, is this really true? You checked the uh, roost of the of the hens before Yomtov. Again, right before Yomtov. So there was no time for it to be laid, you know, after you checked it. Um, you checked it from one minute before Shkia till two minutes after Shkia. And there was no egg. And the next morning you woke up before daybreak and you saw an egg, Asura, it's forbidden because it did lay at night. The verse says, no. Oh, we have an explanation. It can lay an egg at night if it's an unfertilized egg, right? This is all about when it had sex. So it can lay an egg at night if it's an unfertilized egg. It's only a fertilized egg that it will only lay during the day. So the Gemara says, if that's true, so you lose your whole, your, your whole kula here because your whole scenario, oh, I can assume it was from the day before. It's not true. Maybe I have to assume that this is an unfertilized egg. There goes your whole idea. Because and you can't just say, oh, it didn't happen at night. Maybe it did happen at night. Maybe it was an unfertilized egg. This is no. There's a rooster, like, around in the neighborhood. And therefore, we have to assume if there's a rooster walking around that it's not unfertilized. So the Gemara says, now, Who cares that there's a rooster walking around? Maybe it's still an unfertilized egg and it was late at night. Amaravina, so Ravina says, Gimiri, we have a dumber tradition. As long as there's a rooster around, it's not going to lay an unfertilized egg, which I could mean the rooster will mate with every available hen, or it could just mean that the hen, when it knows that there's a rooster around, somehow its body will react and it won't lay an egg without it being, without, you know, until it's fertilized. Anyway, so that's a new principle that we've got. So therefore, we have the scenario that you can assume the egg was not overnight, not during the night, when there's a rooster in the neighborhood, and then it won't be, it won't, it won't lay unfertilized eggs. One wonders if they did empirical testing for this also. So the Gemara says the ad comma. How close does the rooster have to be to assume it won't lay unfertilized eggs? So Amarav Gamda Mishmedra Kolhecha Deshama Kolev Yemama. As long as you can hear its voice, or maybe the hen can hear its voice. 
um, in the daytime. Okay, because in the daytime sounds travel don't travel as far as in the nighttime. But the daytime matters because it mates in the daytime. So as long as in the daytime it's hearing that there's a rooster, it will somehow body will react and it won't lay the egg and it'll wait till it mates. But if it can't hear it hears the crowing of the rooster. But if it can't, then it'll lay the egg without it being fertilized. So Avid Rav Mari Uvda Achisi Bati Rav Mari Paskin this way in a case where the rooster was 60 houses away and he said that's still close enough and therefore if the egg was laid it, you know there's a question when the egg was laid was it you know it seems like it was laid overnight we're going to say no there was a rooster in the neighborhood within 60 houses and therefore it has to be a fertilized egg and therefore it could not have been laid at night it must have been laid from the day before okay. now one minute the Ikanara now let's say the rooster is within 60 houses or whatever within the ability of its voice to be heard but there's a river between it and the rooster how far between it and the head how far will it go okay it's like the Gemara says ain't up it's rayos you know so the Gemara has a scenario like you can never be sure that you're protecting people from actually having sex because of the strong Yezahara so here same question how many obstacles do you think have to be there and we still have to think that the rooster will make sure to get together with the head so if there's a river between them low opera it won't cross over the river. The Ika Mavra, but if there's a bridge, Avra, it'll go over that. The Ika Mitzvara, if there's like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, like, no, like a thin plank, or Rashi says, like a rope, you know, like you would walk on a plank and you'd, and you'd sort of walk with holding onto a thin rope on top. So then he says, Ika Mitzvara, low Avra. It won't pass over that, like, thin little plank. Now, there was a case for Avram Mitzvah, and they actually did walk over that thin plank. Okay, can't, can't hands walk on, like, a wire? No? Am I thinking of something else? Maybe I'm thinking of, like, just birds, that, birds that rest on a wire. No, really? They like little hops. They can't be fly. Okay, anyway. So, now, the mother says like this. Okay, now. Where are we? Okay. Um, okay, let's just finish this one. What did you say the case was where you had to where he where he checked the day before and you said it was a problem? It, it, it might have been laid overnight, but when it was unfertilized, and therefore we have to assume it was laid overnight. So the Gemara says, So why did you say that he checked a minute before sunset? Even if he didn't check, now here's a question I didn't check right before sunset. I came to the hen, the, the, the roost the next morning, or the coop, that's what you call it, the coop the next morning, and I, uh, and I saw that there was an egg the morning of Yantiv. When was it laid? Was it laid overnight, or was it laid Arab Yantiv? I don't know. What's the halacha? If I, if I didn't check a minute before, before it became Yantiv, maybe it was laid from, from Arab Yantiv. That's what Gemara says. So, no. Kilo Baduk, If you don't know, Here's a very important halacha. Finally, at the end of the whole discussion, we're telling you, let's say you don't know when the egg was laid. Right? You came the of morning, there was the egg. It's not clear. Was it laid overnight or was it laid from before it got dark, from Erev Yantav? So it says if you don't know, then you could be lenient. It's a safek, it's rabbinic, and you'll be lenient. So Yithimar says, Ihachi kibadak nami. So if that's true, even if you did check to a minute before Yantav, you should be lenient. Why? What could you be lenient about? Ema yatsdaruba v'chazrahi. Because maybe even if you checked, maybe it had already, the majority had come out and it went back in. So, so maybe we'll always be lenient and say it will always have been laid before Yantav and went back in. That's a very uncommon case. So therefore, here's a fascinating halacha. 
if the egg is born, besides this funny idea that we have to assume it wasn't laid at night if it was fertilized, yeah. but just a simple case, you find an egg in your coop on Yontif morning, actually, if you don't know, it's mutter. Unless you're certain it was laid overnight, you know, if there's a possibility it was already laid from before Yontif began, then you can actually be, it can't be, when you check, you don't think that Rabbi Yochanan's possibility is not something that's a reasonable possibility. But if you didn't check, and there's that possibility, you can be lenient. So the Gemara says, just to end up this point on a, on a not relevant point, remember Rabbi Yosef ben Shalom Rav, since it started with the statement of Rabbi Yosef ben Shalom, the name of Rav, about the egg coming out and being complete, etc. The Gemara says, Hi Tuma Shechika, if you have ground garlic, so, Sakanta uh, Ligluya. It is dangerous to leave it uncovered. So, completely <laughs> other point. Now, I just want to say one last thing about, and I know there was a question, about this idea of you can be lenient if you don't know when it was laid and assume it was Erev Yantav. It's a Suffolk Lakula. So that makes sense. Suffolk Durabanam Lakula. But look at this little postfos that reminds us of an earlier discussion. Kilo Badak Emer Me'esmal the egg is something that will become permissible after Yantiv you can eat it so why should we be lenient just because it's a doubt we should say let's be strict and wait till tomorrow in you should be strict that even in unfertilized cases most likely it was daytime anyway and therefore most likely it was at night so therefore we can be lenient but what's relevant about this toast folks is he says this principle about being lenient on rabbinic matters in a case of doubt something doesn't necessarily apply if it is something that's a davashyesh lamatirin. You could wait till tomorrow. And I just want to remind you, maybe I shouldn't because it was complicated when we did it the first time, but the general principle of davashyesh lamatirin, something that will become permissible later, is a principle that it's not batel. But if it gets mixed up in other things like chames and pesach, right, then if there's no bitel. Whether that means that you can't apply other leniencies like Suffix or abundant lakula or sex fake and so on is less clear. But there was an indication in the Gemara that either even those other types of leniencies don't apply to Davashesh Lamatirin. So that's what Tosis is reminding us of and bringing this up here. But the simple sense of the Gemara is that no, it's a rabbinic matter. If you're not sure whether it was from yesterday or today, you can be lenient in this case and say the egg is permissible. David, you had a question from before. Oh, yeah, that's some number of 60 has a significant number. Yeah, it's not exactly Bissell, but it's using the number of 60. Right, right. Okay. Because the whole idea of the egg being forbidden, I mean, if it's Moksa, it's rabbinic, and, it's the, and at the end, the other things we said, like fruit that trails from a tree, or liquids that, remember, those other explanations are all rabbinic concern. Okay, so let's take a look. Um... Uh, no, excuse me, that Rabbi Yossi ben Sholem Rav was this idea about checking the night before, about having been late, you know, when, when we assume it was late or not. So that's another statement of Rabbi Yossi ben Sholem Rav about this uh, ground garlic. Now, we finally go be, move beyond the case of the egg. And we get to the next line in the Mishnah, which is, if you remember, the Mishnah started with three debates of Beit Hillel, Beit Shammai, and Yantiv, where Beit Shammai was lenient and Beit Hillel was strict. And the second one, actually, is Pesach-related. What is the minimum amount of bread or the minimum amount of sourdough, se'ur? So, sourdough is basically not edible, but it's used for fermenting. It's used for making dough. So that also is forbidden. You'll know the Torah often switches between chametz and se'ur, right? It says, lo yeva'alecha chametz, lo yeva'alecha se'ur b'chol v'chashivat yamin. Right? And it speaks about not eating chametz and not eating se'ur. 
So Beit Shammai says, Beit Hill says, the amount, minimum amount for both of them is Kazayat. Beit Shammai says, no, the minimum amount of Seor is Kazayat, because that's powerful, that can ferment other things. But the minimum amount of Chameit is actually a Kikotevet, like a pressed uh, date, and therefore is actually a larger size, which is lenient, means you don't transgress until you have more Chameit. So let's take a look. The mar- yes? Did we, just, did we come to a conclusion on, on the first point when we followed Beit Hillel and Beit Yeah, we all like Beit Hillel. In these cases, yeah. Even though Beethoven's more strict. Right. right. The, is, yeah. is the dry yeast in a package the same halacha as mm-hmm. soar? No, I don't think so. Um, and what exactly is dry yeast in a package? It's, 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 I mean, it, it does what sourdough does. It's I understand, but what is it? Yeah, is it made so from is it made from leaven's bread? No, it's not. Okay, it's so it. probably isn't. Beit Shammai, because I my tamay is Beit Shammai. What's the reason of Beit Shammai that says that there's different amounts? In came Lichter Brachman Achamei. Why? He takes for granted that the ore is more strict because it can make other things, it can leaven other things. So why did the Torah have to forbid the ores separate from Chameis? Just tell me, don't eat Chameis or don't own Chameis. The low by ore, you don't have to tell me not, not to eat or own the ore. Now, I mean, and I would say, Ma Chameis ain't Chimutso Kasha. Chameis, it's, it's leavening, it's not strong, it doesn't leaven other things because Zayas. That obviously goes by Kazayas because that's the normal minimum size, especially relating to things that are about eating. The <laughs> Ur Shechimutso Kosha, so Ur, which has powerful leavening powers, so Lokoshikain, certainly that, that would be forbidden. So, the Ur, the Kosher Vachman Alamali, why does the Torah have to also say don't own and don't eat the Ur? We'll see in a minute whether owning and eating is the same. For now, we'll assume it's the same. Loma Lachat tell you, Shior Shoveh, Loka Shior Shoveh, that they're different categories, that actually they're different amounts, and therefore the smallest size we have is a Kazayas, so that will give to Seor, because Seor is more powerful. Then Chametz will be a little bit more. It's not as powerful. And the next logical size, Rashi says, is a Kikotevet. Why is it next logical size? Because that's the amount, like we know from Yom Kippur, you know, that's the amount that actually is considered like to get, settle you, like to a little bit seal you. So again, relating to things that are about eating, the next logical size after Kazayas, which is about the act of eating, is the amount of a Kikotevet, which gives you, which sates you a little bit. That's less than a Beitza? That's less than a Beitza. Okay, so actually that, the whole thing got discussed in Yom, its relationship to a Beitza. I'm not going there yet. Okay, so now. Um, okay, Beitila, what would Beitila say? Why do you have to say both Seor and Chameit? How, if, if, why couldn't you have learned one from the other? They would say Tzrichi. You need to say both. Had it just said sourdough, maybe that's forbidden because it has, it has powerful leavening power. Maybe you wouldn't be prohibited to own stam bread. They would have to tell me Now, if it just said chametz, why would I say if chametz is forbidden, certainly soor? No, because it's fit to be eaten. So that makes that stronger than soor. Sourdough, which is not fit to be eaten, aim alone. Maybe it wouldn't be transgressor. You wouldn't transgress to the same severity. So it's not so obvious which is higher than which on some hierarchy or stringency. Each one has its stringent elements. The Seor's element is that it makes other things chametz, and the chametz element is that it's edible. So each one is, so you need to say both, and they both do have the same size. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. And now Reis Shammai doesn't hold the Rebbe Zeira. The Amar Rebbe Zeira, um, uh, well, oh, I'm sorry, the question. Yeah. Now, Beit Shammai doesn't hold of Rebbe Zera. Rebbe Zera says, 
one verse opened with Soor and ended with Chameitz Lomalacha to tell you Zech Zech Soor Zech Chameitz the same halacha applies to both what is this pasuk? so the pasuk is Right, so what's the combination? If for seven days, don't have any sourdough in your house because anybody who eats bread transgresses. So why is eating bread the, the related to not having sourdough? To tell you that they're all the same. We're not making any distinctions between sourdough and bread. They're all treated the same way. That's why one verse opens with one and ends with the other. There's no halachic, not the same physical thing, but there's no halachic difference between the two. So the says, you know what, you're right. When it comes to eating, nobody debates. Everybody says that you transgress once you eat a kezayis. Okay, keep pligi the Indian beer. What we're debating is the issue of destroying it, or one to reframe it, the prohibition of owning it. Although they are equated when it comes to eating, we don't learn the idea of destroying um, and prohibition of, of owning from eating. And even though by eating they're treated the same, by owning they're treated differently. No, we do learn it the same way by destroying they're the, the same way by eating they're the same, by destroying they're the same, and it's a kezai by everything. Itmer Nami was also taught, I'm Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi the debate is when it comes to destroying that that there's way big time it goes a little bit easier on you when it comes to chametz. When it comes to eating, everybody would say it goes by a kezayis. Tanya nami hachim we talk similar. So that's mamish doubles it the exact same prohibition by chametz and seor. Why does it have to say it twice? Two separate prohibitions. That's the debate of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Since it has two prohibitions, it's actually to tell you a different amount, that, there's, that, that comments you only transgress when you own it when it's a kikotevet, but Seor already the size of an olive. Or Beit Hillel means they're both the size of an olive. Okay, so now we've basically gotten down that the whole debate is when it comes to owning it. So it does not really tell us, other than this issue of chimutso kasha, conceptually why it should be different. Why should owning be different than eating? So I'll just tell you, since we're almost on Pesach, so I'll give you just a little, in, a little insight into some basic question about the idea of Kamesh on Pesach. So there's a fascinating question, which is, right, why does the Torah say not to own Kamesh on your house? Why not? So there's two explanations. Um, one explanation is that, like the Pasuk says, Don't own it, because if you own it, you'll come to eat it. Um, and that's why we showed him say that even when you do bittel, the rabbis require you to destroy it. And it's different from the fact, like, I'm allowed to own chazer. Why can I own chazer? I can have chazer in my fridge. Because chazer, I know, it's taboo. I know to keep off. Chametz, which I eat the rest of the year, it's not so taboo. And on Pesach, I'll have some chametz laying around. I'll forget. I'll come to eat it. So one explanation is the Torah says, "Don't eat it." It's the Torah's own safeguards. The rabbis are always making safeguards. Here, the Torah is making safeguards. Don't own it, lest you come to eat it. But there's another explanation. The other explanation is is that the very nature of the yuntiv as a chag hamatzot is a, is a day in which 
you know, Khanetz is in contradiction to its identity as the Chagamatos. So even if you aren't going to eat it, just having Khanetz in your possession is against what the whole theme of the day is. Which, you know, lo we speak with Seicham, it's all about Matra, it's all about not having Khanetz, right? I mean, you know, there's a, people make a big thing about the idea of getting rid of the Khanetz in your life. And it's not just maybe you'll come to eat it. Like the symbolic idea of it's not about Khanetz. So it seems that that possibility opens up, I mean, it's, you could say both possibilities in Beit Hillel as well, but it seems like it opens up even more in Beit Shammai, because Beit Shammai actually says that you can own a Kezai of night, mutter, but you don't transgress by owning a Kezai of Chametz, even though were you to eat it, you would transgress. But he said, nevertheless, to transgress for owning it, it has to be more than the amount that if you were to eat it would be a problem. So it seems to him that the idea of owning is not directly related to the concern of eating. Right? Is that clear? Because if it was all about the concern of eating, then a kazayas would be a problem. You'll pop it in your mouth. No. Somehow its presence is a problem. If you want its presence to be a problem and not just you might come to eat it, maybe you need a more substantial amount for its presence to be a problem. So that's interesting in terms of thinking about what is the issue of owning chametz, what that prohibition is about. Okay. Now back to normal generic yasser. And the Mishnah says, if you shech a chay and an oaf, a wild animal like a deer, a wild species, or a bird, and you have to cover the blood, so what do you do? So Beit Shammai says, you dig in the dirt and you cover it. And Beit says, don't shech unless you already have the dirt ready. Okay? So that's a little bit funny, because it started by saying, what happens if you did shech? And Beit answer is, well, you shouldn't have shech it in the first place. <laughs> don't shech so what are we talking about? Are we talking about if you did it, or are we talking about you were, you're asking permission whether you're allowed to do it? And that's what the Gemara asks. So modern streets have, have like some dirt lying around someplace? I know. The Evan Inn, yeah. I mean, the Evan Inn, so the Mishnah starts by saying, what happens if you did Shaq? You did it already. The Avad. It already happened. Not L'Chathchila. And you want to know now that, now that I've done it, what am I allowed to do? And he must say, but look at the end of this Mishnah. Well, Beitil, I mean, Beitil's response to this question is, I already shechted it is, lo yishcho, don't shecht it. That's not so helpful. Bichlal, the Tanakhama, sorry, that implies that the question is lechatchila. And the Tanakhama is saying, yishcho, you're allowed to shecht it, lechatchila. Even though it frames it as, what happens if you did shecht it? So what are we talking about? Are we talking about Bidiyev or are we talking lechatchila? So it says, halo kasha, that's not difficult. Lo yishcho, v'yichasekama. When Beitil says, don't shecht it, they don't mean don't shecht it. They mean, don't, you should, don't be involved in everything related to Shechita here. Don't finish the Shechita. Don't cover it. Okay? So Beitila is talking about Bidiyevin. Okay? And I said, all right. So now you're saying Beitila makes Shammai are debating Bidiyevin. And Beitila says, even Bidiyevin don't do anything. And he must say, so look at the very end of the Mishnah. Umodi and Beitila make Shammai agree Sha'im Shachat that if you did Shechita, Shiach Bervedek that you can dig with a, with a, like a shovel and cover so it's very clear in the end that they agree with the evidence. So clearly their argument is lichachila. Michal the ratio of the evidence. So clearly where they're arguing, it's not about you already did it because Beitil will say if you already did it, okay, cover it already. So obviously they're arguing about lichachila. So what do you do about the phrase hashochet? So Amar Rabbah, so says Rabbah Hachikamar, hashochet sheba limalech ketza, not one who already shechted, the shochet, the slaughterer, the butcher. Okay? Hashoche, <laughs> which is a funny read because the verb is missing. It's Hashoche Chayev Oaf, but it means one who wants to shech the Chayev Oaf on Yantav. What do you do? Okay? Ketzad. Overload. What do you tell somebody who wants to shech? So we make it a Lichat Chiva question. 
Unless you have prepared dirt. So basically, because the end of the mission makes it clear that they agreed with the Yevid, you're allowed to cover it. They say that even though the phrase opens with Hashochet, the question is, are you allowed to do it L'Chatchila? Beit Shammai says you can Shech L'Chatchila even without prepared dirt. And Beit Hill says you cannot Shech L'Chatchila. Rav Yosef, now Rav Yosef says it's going to sound like the same thing. Somebody is coming to ask for permission. Uh, am I allowed to shech? If he wants to shech. Kate said, Omelo, what do you tell him? Omelo, you say to him, go dig, shech, and cover. Don't shech unless you have prepared dirt. So what's the difference between what Rav Yosef said and Rabbah said? Rabbah said that according to Beit Shammah you'd say shech, dig, and cover. And Rav Yosef said you would say, that Beit Shammah would say dig, shech, and cover. So what's the difference whether you tell them to first dig the dirt or to first shech the animal? So Amalei Abai Rav Yosef. So Abai wants to figure out why they formulated it differently. So he said to Rav Yosef, Lema Mar Virabba, maybe the master, you Rav Yosef, and Rabba, um, the reason you're just articulating Beit Shammai differently, either Shech dig, Shech dig and cover, or dig, Shech and cover, what you're really debating is, an, is not a Yontif question, but an, a, 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 an issue about how to cover the blood, and about, about a position of um, Rebbe Zera Amarav. The Amar Rebbe Zera Amarav, because Rebbe Zera says in the name of Rav, Hashochet, if you shech chaya or an oaf, tzarech sheitim afer lamata vafer lamala. It's not enough to put the dirt above the blood. You have to have loose dirt below the blood as well. How do you know it? Shenemar, the verse says, the shafachet amot, you will spill the blood, v'chisau be'afar, and you will cover it with dirt. Afer lo nemar, it doesn't say v'chisau afar, you'll cover, dirt will cover it. Ela be'afar, with dirt, which means that the blood will be inside of the dirt. Dirt above it and dirt below it. Funny read of the verse. Mm-hmm. Above and below. So Demar, the master, you Rev Yosef, who said, dig, shecht, and then cover. You hold the Rebizera. And therefore you're saying, dig, put a layer of, of dirt below, then shecht, and then cover again. So that's Rebizera's position. The Rabba, and Rabu said, shecht, dig, and cover. Wait, wait, Rebbe Zera. Doesn't all the Rebbe Zera. So it doesn't need it to be soft, loose dirt below, and is enough to put dirt above. That's a pretty reasonable read of why they would articulate differently when you're doing the digging. So Amalei, so Rebbe Yosef said, no. Bein Lididi, Bein Larabah, Eastland Rebbe Zera. Both I and Rabba hold the Rebbe Zera, that you need to have loose dirt below. And that's why, so it's understandable why I said, dig Shech and, dig shech and, and cover. Why did Rabba say Shech dig and cover? Here's what we debate. Rabba Savar, that actually, even according to Big Shammai, we will only allow him to shech if there already is loose dirt there. But if there's no loose dirt, and he would have to dig to create the layer of loose dirt, we won't let him shech. Now, why should that matter? If we're going to let him dig to cover the blood, why should we not let him dig to put on the layer of loose dirt? For the following reason. What's he going to do? He'll dig. He'll lay a loose layer of dirt. And then he'll, and then he'll say, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to shat this whole animal. I'll just have some of my leftover chicken. And then, <laughs> and then he'll have dug on Yantav for no purpose. Okay? So therefore, Rabbah says, 
that says shecht only if you already have the loose dirt. I don't want to let you dig. You need to have loose dirt below, but I'm not going to let you do it if you don't have it already ready because I'm afraid you'll do it and then you'll change your mind. And I hold, I'd rather you go ahead, dig, lay the layer of dirt, and I'm willing to accept the risk that you might change your mind. Why? Better to have that risk the low shari slay, because if I'm going to rule like Rab and I won't let you do it unless you already have a loose layer of dirt, then you're not going to shech when you want to shech. Rab is making it harder for the guy to shech. Rab is saying, I'm not going to let him shech unless there's already a loose layer of dirt. Now, all of this is debated within Beit Shammai. We actually don't pass in Beit Shammai. We pass in Beit Hillel. The Beit Hillel says, don't do it lechachila either. You know, in either case. But within Beit Shammai that lets you do it with Chachila, they're debating whether that's only when there's already an existing loose layer of dirt, of dirt below. Okay? But that's within Beit Shammai. But Beit Hillel says you can only do it with the Evan. And what we'll do tomorrow is, you know, we'll just we'll end here because it'll start a new topic. Um, we'll do tomorrow the question about why Yevet can you do it isn't it violating the Tzantiv to be digging a hole in the ground well, yeah, okay. alright so we'll see about that tomorrow okay